Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Psychedelics. I'm Jeff Siegel here once again with Simeon Schnapper of JLS Fund. Simeon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jeff, and top of the morning to you, sir. I wonder if we still have to like introduce ourselves every time. I mean, this is the fourth podcast. Maybe I should just start off with, hey, everybody, welcome to the show, and let's just dive in. Do we yeah. really need introductions? I mean, at this point, Simeon, yeah. you're kind of like Madonna. If I say Simeon, I don't even need to say your last name. They're like, oh, it's Simeon. He's like a I, I prefer Prince. I prefer Prince <laughs> or just the symbol. But no, I mean, context-wise, you know, they're going to see it on a page or an app. So they're going to know, right? Yeah. Yeah. They being the people listening right now. The listeners. Yeah. <laughs> they. The authorities. Right <laughs> well, let's jump in because there's great news today. Detroit. Detroit decriminalized psychedelics. I want to know your thoughts on that. I, w I do want to say before I get your thoughts on that, um, it seems like I'm seeing individual like regions decriminalizing mm -hmm. now in terms of psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a good strategy because you're focusing on cities and, and counties that are most likely to overwhelmingly support decriminalization. Um, and I think that potentially lays the groundwork for larger decrim efforts on decrim efforts on the state level. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, the, the trend is um, very encouraging. Um, I haven't looked at the latest poll results, but as of yesterday, you know, it was, it was overwhelming. I think there was like a margin of 61%. I just kind of glanced at it, but um, you know, again, it was a ballot initiative. Um, in Detroit, and Detroit's significant, right? I mean, Motor City, USA, the cultural stuff, the history, the people, um, you know, and again, it's a, it's a decrim on, you know, personal possession and therapeutic use of entheogenic plants by adults is the, the lowest city, uh, lowest, lowest law enforcement um, priority for the city. So you're starting to see um, it's really fascinating. You're starting to see different jurisdictions, different cities, different states, all kind of more or less a decrim with probably the eventuality of legalization, like we saw uh, first in Oregon. So yeah, it's 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 incredibly uh, it's incredibly interesting how fast it's moving. Do you think that with with let's say just Detroit as an example? Um, kind of laying that groundwork where they're saying, look, we're not going to hassle you um, over psychedelics. Uh, if you, if, if there's a company that is, is uh, in the psychedelic space, would that encourage those companies to go to a place like Detroit, do you think, to do their work? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, let's look at, look at just the state, right? And, um, you know, again, it's a very different narrative with uh, can cannabis to psychedelics. But, um, you know, at one point, uh, Michigan uh, and Detroit made up a good portion of that when cannabis was medical. Um, you saw companies prepare for the eventual recreational. So, again, it's not a direct parallel, but does decrim then lead to legalization? So there's already people um, looking and companies looking at, you know, where will where will the, the pivot be or where will the graduation be? So it's, it's already happening. Um, I think the, 
the signaling of that, as we've seen across dozens and dozens of other states and cities, will be this is commercialized, which is not true today. Um, it's true under medical, and then it went rec. Now the majority, at least of the U.S., is you know you can get cannabis in medical or recreational form. So. You know, nobody knows, no one has the exact crystal ball, but um, the signals are all there. And um, I'm personally aware of a lot of people having um, spent a lot of time in the upper peninsula of Michigan, which actually should be its own country, let alone its own state, uh, culturally. But, um, you know, people making moves and seeing the opportunity on, on the commercialization side uh, to start thriving businesses um, that are, you know, both impactful, but under the more legalized framework and regulatory framework of, you know, what, what we'll probably see first in Oregon, um, under measure 109, but, uh, there's a lot of other states kind of looking there and saying, Hey, we could beat Oregon to the punch. So it's going to be very interesting. I think about, you know, on the, on the decrim side and, um, just the ability for, adults to uh, consume psychedelics, um, you know, just because they want to, for whatever reason, it could be recreation, it could be medically, it's, it's their, their right, if you believe in this idea of personal sovereignty, you know, um, but from the medical side, uh, you and I had spoke with a, uh, spoken with a, a state senator in Maryland a few months ago, and there's a very vibrant biotech sector in Maryland. And he was very encouraged by the, by the idea of psychedelics companies coming to Maryland to utilize that biotech platform. I wonder if, I want, I wonder if, uh, you know, if Detroit, you say, okay, well, Detroit, they're decriminalizing. Could that encourage companies to come there? Yes. But it, does it make more sense for psychedelics companies to look at states or cities where there is a strong biotech presence? That's a really uh, cogent um, prediction, right? I mean, I remember those, those meetings in Annapolis with the senator, uh, which were great, and just to hear that perspective of, wait, you know, I'm a I'm a state senator, um, I'm you know, all for cognitive liberty and lessening the war on drugs. But I also want to create jobs and revenue at the state level. So uh, where there is already a biotech, uh, quote unquote, infrastructure, I would imagine that the, the leadership and the politicians of those jurisdictions will say, wait a minute, this is already a natural narrative leading to us. Uh, commanding a good portion of a market, um, whether it's job creation, whether it's uh, subsidizing, you know, the startup landscape in the state, um, but would want to probably dig in to see what the assets and what the overall infrastructure is by state, where, again, in Maryland, yeah, there's just so much, quote unquote, medicine and drug discovery and development already occurring there. So it would be a natural right. progression. Is that true of Michigan, which has a different profile? So I would look at it maybe from, well, what already exists if this narrative will continue to um, um, show, show promise for, for startups, uh, uh, regulatory bodies, uh, constituents of that specific jurisdiction. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, you know, not to trivialize what happened in Detroit, because I think it's a very big deal. Um, I'm just, I'm just, and I was encouraged too, like I said, by the senator's thoughts on uh, bringing psychedelics to Maryland because they already have that biotech kind of infrastructure in place. It'll be interesting to see, you know, which states or cities are able to uh, draw all the talent and all the companies that literally have hundreds of millions of dollars to, to spend. Um, it's not, yeah. it's not, um, it's not something that should be kind of cast aside as well. It's just like a little niche industry. No, they literally have hundreds of millions of dollars to spend and they're spending it. Why not bring it to a place where the, uh, the voters and, and the, and the politicians and the lawmakers have all has said, yes, we want you here. It will be interesting to see how that plays out. I like Maryland very much. I think California always has a good shot in something like that. Um, weirdly, I mean, I like New York because, you know, you have a lot of great universities in New York um, that do a lot of uh, drug discovery and development and, and biotech. And, you know, we've been, we were at the, at Columbia's uh, chem lab, which was like one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had to yeah. see all this chemistry happening right in front of you. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out because I think that as an investor, I do want to see where these companies are, are going to headquarter. And I know they're going to headquarter where there's not going to be any hassle from the government, where voters are okay with it, and there's plenty of talent. Um, and you got to be a place where there's you know a good um, funnel of talent, biotech talent, chemistry talent, and you'll find that in cities where you have you know again Columbia, Johns Hopkins, you know all the big universities yeah. that that do this kind of stuff. Um, so another thing I wanted to talk about today, I have read that while there are we know there are dozens of companies actively conducting fda clinical trials with all kinds of various psychedelics there aren't currently enough qualified therapists to administer these substances or to work with patients using these substances how big of a problem is this it's uh it's gonna be uh, uh a really interesting solution I kind of view it in, in two different segments. There's the, you know, hardcore indications <laughs> that requires an immense amount of uh, oversight and support with qualified, trained, certified psychotherapists. Um, and that would be true as some of these molecules become commercialized and medicalized uh, over time, probably, you know, starting with MDMA around uh, PTSD, shortly there followed by psilocybin around a whole uh, panoply of, of depression. And then there's what I've been referring to as PAT, uh, PAT being uh, psychedelic assisted therapy. I'm trying to come up with a better label because it's, it's, it's not appropriate. <laughs> but I've been calling it like PAT light or diet PAT. Um, and that's not the right way to talk about it because, you know, at the DCRAM level um, where, you know, you see that graduation to legalized um, psychedelics at the state level, not dissimilar from fo- following, uh, you know, the cannabis playbook, um, at least as far as access, it might not require, uh, you know, a dyad of therapists and 40 hours of training. It might just be, hey, I want to experience this. I have anxiety. I'm going through some issues. I want greater insight. 
So it'll be very interesting to see what the requirements and the certifications will be when it's at a uh, step above decrim and or uh, legalized, but not, uh, you know, requiring, you know, a $20,000 therapeutic session. Um, does that answer your question? Well, yeah, I mean, well, I, I, it does, but it brings up another question. You know, who who decides what the qualifications are? Yeah, this is where, you know, you can, you know, find parallels in other industries, but, you know, you start to hear the word governance, uh, subcommittees, um, rules, um, et cetera. And it requires a, an immense amount of things, uh, uh, immense amount of, let's say, stars to align there. But yeah, it's, it's a cross mix of the people, you know, which you've seen definitely with, um, you know, Prop E, I believe. Um, so I think I saw a meme about Prop E being uh, like an ecstasy meme, but uh, that was uh, not accurate. Uh, I think someone was trying to make a joke there um, in Detroit. So you definitely have, you know, it's starting sometimes with ballot initiatives and then moving to, um, well, who are the committees that are writing the rules and who are the uh, policymakers writing the policy? But yeah, it becomes, you know, no different than any other regulated government or state level initiative trying to bring um, everything together. And will it be messy uh, early on? Probably. Um, but that's just the nature of, of iterating and coming up with uh, the most close to perfect. There's never a perfect solution. The most close to perfect solution for uh, the people um, who, you know, want to either try or desperately need uh, medication uh, and medicines and uh, plant-based intelligence to, to help them go through and evolve wherever they're at. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, it also makes sense, I guess, again, from putting my investor hat on, I say, okay, well, are there companies out there that are actively doing this kind of developing protocols for these types of things? Not to say that they are in that position where they can um, make decisions on the, on the, uh, you know, governance level, but they bring to the table experience. They bring to the table the knowledge that policymakers need to come up with these guidelines. So um, it's interesting. There was a company, um, it's a public company called Braxia Scientific. They, they just run some ketamine clinics. Um, and they just announced that, uh, that they completed a training program for psilocybin-assisted clinical therapy, therapy um, for 20 therapists that they have. Um, it's interesting because, okay, so like I said, this is a public company. Um, it's you know, it's struggled. I've been watching. It's been struggled over the last year or so. Um, I would argue some of this is due to early on management made a lot of missteps um, just on the regulatory side. And, and that kind of left a bad taste in people's mouths. Um, you know, they've, they've made, they pivoted and, and I, and I think they're kind of back on track. Um, I'm not, by the way, I'm not like recommending this as a stock or anything. I'm just making a, an observation. Um, and I'm wondering was this a really, was this a good move? Because they're kind of coming out of this hole. Um, and now they're saying, look, we have these ketamine clinics. We're actively 
training people. So it seems like they're making an effort. And I wonder how many other companies are going to do this um, that aren't focused on training, but they're bringing it into it. And moreover, are there any companies that are, you would say are the, um, I don't know, the, the leaders in developing protocols and how involved will they be? Will they be working with other companies like whether it be public companies like Cybin or, or Braxy or mm -hmm. MindMed um, or private companies, doesn't really matter. Um, but there's got to be like a company or, a, or an organization or a couple organizations out there that you could say, yes, this is the company, this is the organization that's probably going to have the most influence on developing protocols. Yeah, I think there's a few questions embedded in there. Uh, the first one would be on this trend of, you know, what could be labeled as vertical integration. Um, where you have some with clinics, you have some that are just drug discovery, but we, many of them are realizing there's either A, um, the opportunity to create an additional revenue stream with training and the protocols uh, around the, the assisted uh, therapy, uh, B, um, they want to protect themselves um, that's usually you know with a lot of these protocols and therapeutic protocols there's there's ip you know and it's like hey if you're doing this substance or this molecule from us you have to follow this protocol of the therapy so there's some ip within that um but also i wonder you know um we've seen this in a lot of other industries where you know at the beginning of it there'll be disparate parts and then as it matures you start to see the vertical integration and then uh, you know a few years later you see like well that's not the most efficient use of dollars time etc and then they start to spin stuff off and disband so i think there's going to be a lot of different lanes on um, pollution of companies that you're starting to see vertically integrate and when will they start to uh, de-verticalize, if that's even a word. Um, also, you know, as far as protocol development, um, there's so many people that have been working on this um, since the beginning of time, um, you know, looking at what's the protocol in an ancient culture versus what's a protocol for a more traditional medicine. Um, a lot of players are working on it. Uh, some are deciding to embed that within their company some are doing very cool partnerships with companies uh, all across the board uh, fluence is one that comes to mind which we're big fans of you know who's developed and we're pis on some of the more uh, uh popular uh developments within the industry specifically some of the psilocybin trials and the mdna trials um, and trying to carve out a niche specifically around the development of the therapeutic protocol so uh, definitely be something we continue to watch um, and learn from um, and would not be surprised that it'll follow any nascent industry as far as let's protect some of the IP to let's um, let's vertically integrate and then at some point let's let's de-verticalize and spin some of these things off or find the right partnerships and the people who are just doing that component of the business. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, this is something I think investors should really keep an eye on. It's not obvious. You know, I mean, it's not obvious. You say, okay, well, I'm going to invest in the psychedelic space. I'm going to find a company that's doing drug development discovery or maybe a tech play. How many people have, have thought for a second, hey, someone's got to develop the protocols for this? 
Um, and that is, I believe, is, is insanely valuable. So uh, I would encourage investors to keep an eye out for that um, because there's, sure. some, there's something there. And it's, it's early. We have to, you know, mm-hmm. always kind of remind ourselves, yes, it's still very early. Um, but uh, I'm a big believer in, you know, trying to, you know, fo- find those, 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 early, those early players, the ones that kind of hit the ground running and have something that no one else has. Uh, because it becomes, you know, more and more valuable, like I said, and, and um, uh, it may not be as exciting, <laughs> you know, as watching a company yeah. develop a new, you know, uh, silicon analog, you know, to treat right. PTSD, um, but it is necessary. Um, and again, it's, it's yeah. quite valuable. Awesome. Yeah, not to borrow just on that note. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a stretch to say that the protocol, the therapeutic protocols are the rails but on anything that's regulated, anything that'll be backed by insurance and payers and providers, you know, those protocols to some extent will be the, the way these medicines will be administered. So it's, it's, it's a pretty big deal. You're right. It's very, yeah. very important to look at that. Yeah. It's good to know. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that is it for today. Simeon, thanks for taking the time as always. And we will see you next time. Be well. <laughs>